but... they jumped in. They did the library. They did the wand of the wordsmith. They broke the yeah. wand of the wordsmith. Like the the police, the time, the time police. police. Yeah. Oh, is that what they're literally I mean, they called? Were, they never really had a name. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> That's why I couldn't remember it. I was like, what time cops. <laughs> I was like, what are these people? Oh okay, uh, yeah, yeah time cops is a real D and D thing. Welcome back to Natural 19, the D&D podcast that isn't perfect, but it's still pretty good. Uh, I'm <laughs> My guest is laughing because he hasn't listened to the show yet. So <laughs> I'm trying, okay? Everyone, I want you to give a warm welcome, not that we can hear it, to uh, Jake Horner. Hi, Jake. Hi. Uh, Jake, you're someone I've mentioned briefly on the podcast, and I'm glad I got you in this time because I actually mentioned you in the last episode and saying how I wanted to bring you on. Uh, but you're someone who I met strictly through D&D. Uh, this is, unlike most of my guests who, like, I dragged into D&D at some point <laughs> on the line, y- you were dragged in, but not by me. Uh, yeah, I was dragged in by you a little bit. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> why don't we, well, let's, let's go ahead and start with, uh, how, how did we meet? Uh, well, fun fact, uh, I thought that I was not going to be role-playing at all, yes. and then, uh, my best friend, Kim Fritz, asked me to come to this little D&D get-together that she was, uh, a part of at the Panther Comics comic book shop, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, I'll go, I'll just watch one time. I had like a free night, which was shocking at the time. Yeah, yeah, you had a free night. We had a free character sheet. It all worked out. (laughs) Yeah, literally, they were like, okay, so I was like, okay, I'll just watch. And then you were like, you want to play? And I said, absolutely not. I will watch. And you said, great, here's your character sheet. (laughs) I I feel like it wasn't that pushy. (laughs) No, you were. It was. I feel like you were like in your doing, you're doing a thing where you didn't want to like, you wouldn't be polite, you know? And you were like, I mean, I can play. And I interpret that as like, oh, he wants in. He wants in. Let's do this. (laughs) That's, it probably was like half true. I was probably being shy. But uh, you showed me a, a character sheet for a Fire Ganassi Warlock, mm-hmm. and the rest was history. Yeah, and we played D&D together for like two years. Yeah. More it, than, more than two years, actually. Yeah, with that and other campaigns, too. So. Yeah. Um, wow. So one thing I don't actually think I know about you is how long have you been like role-playing or doing D&D or any role-playing game? Yeah. Uh, how did you get into this? Uh, it's very kind of strange, my journey with D&D. Uh, my dad is like was an avid D&D player when he was okay. little, uh, which is strange because that was during the whole, like, D&D is of the devil. Oh, right, and of course, he's, of course, like, yes. a pastor. So, like, you would assume that he was in on that and he was like, this is stupid. And so he played it every day of his life. And when I grew up, he always told me about it. And I was like, absolutely not. Have no interest in that. I'll play video games. <laughs> um, his best friend ended up being a DM and he writes, like, stuff that gets, like, published for D&D and stuff now, oh, which is, like, crazy. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 it's really weird. I uh, had no idea. I, I didn't either until I saw him uh, one time in an article. And I was like, oh, there he is. Um, and so he was like, oh, I'm hosting a campaign. You should come. And I realized that he was hosting a campaign at a convention, and I had never played D&D before. Oh, boy. So that was fun. Him and uh, his son and I and my dad all uh, played a thing. And I played a campaign for a little bit, and then I just didn't really get into it because it was Pathfinder, and it was little complex for when I was like 13. Pathfinder is pretty complicated, yeah. yes. So I shelved it until I was in college and I joined an online uh, role-playing group and just got kind of got back into it. And uh, yeah, then I ended up at your group at Panther, so. There we go. All right. Cool. Slowly but surely being warmed up to D&D and now my dad laughs at me when he's like, remember those years that you told me you would hate D&D? And I'm like, yeah, dad, thanks. So. I always remember uh, whenever we would finish, you would be like, I can't wait to like, dad's going to ask what we did with this and like how, what <laughs> cool enemies you fought and stuff like that. He asked two questions every night. 
did you kill anything? And did you win any cool treasure? And I'm like, <laughs> 90% of our time is like character backstory and role-playing. He's like, who cares about that? Just kill something. <laughs> I'm like, this is why you played this every day. Got it. Yes, I you, see who you were. There's very distinct different uh, styles of D&D player. And none of them none of them wrong. It's no. about finding your mesh with the group. And our group is a role-playing group. Oh, sure. yeah. Uh, and that's what we're here to talk about uh, today. <laughs> Specifically, the character backstories. Uh, we've talked a lot about when it comes to building characters like min-maxing and uh, building for role-playing versus building for, like, mechanics. Right. And uh, I feel like the idea of building for mechanics has barely even crossed your mind ever while creating a character. I played a warlock. <laughs> yeah, like, as no. evidence of the fact that you played a warlock. <laughs> I did not care, have never cared. Um, and But more so than just that, you have this delightful habit, which I want to discuss, which is uh, writing these horrifically tragic backstories <laughs> for your characters. And that makes things so much fun. I mean, like, uh, this, this, I'm not talking about, like, oh, all my parents were killed, and now I have, no. I'm a dark, brooding mercenary with nothing to lose and everything to gain. I, those are my least... Yeah, there's, there's a difference between, like, intricate, interesting, dark backstory right. and Batman. Yeah. You know? Batman has a place in culture and in society and in media, and but not in D&D. Right. And Batman worked because he was the one, not that started that, but that became the icon for that. Yes. And then people copied that, which the copycat is always worse right. than yeah. what it copied, so... Um, but let's let's get into what we mean, why I'm uh, so excited about sad backstories. Uh, <laughs> with this Ganassi warlock that you took a character sheet that was pre-made, pre-built, because I had no idea. This was a pickup game, so I didn't know right. who was coming. I didn't know who was going to know how to play, so I wanted to have it all pre-made. Uh, and you gave this, what's the nice way of putting this, novel to me of Ignis's <laughs> backstory. Um, do you want to give us the cliff notes on that? <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes, so uh, Ignis Adar was a fire ganasi born on the fire plane mm -hmm. uh, who was from an impoverished section of the town called the Phoenix Towns, which you actually helped to create. Yes. Uh, I, they, they wrote like one paragraph about the elemental plane of fire in the Dungeon Master's Guide and the rest of them like, all right, we're fellowship in the title. <laughs> well, good, because we needed it because we spent like three months there yes, in real yes, life. Yes, we did. Okay. It was the longest part of our campaign. Carry on. But he was this boy who was really... Uh, very lost. He had uh, his mother, Shula, had had some really serious problems with her marriage and had split from her husband, who Ignis vaguely remembers but doesn't even know the full name of, um, and had married another man who was a priest of Kasseth. And Melek and Ignis did not get along whatsoever, mm -mm. which caused a whole lot of, um, if you've ever had an angsty, rebellious teenage boy in your life, you know that the first answer for all those problems is girls. So, yep, <laughs> obviously. Ignis found probably the best worst girl he could ever meet in mm -hmm. his life through his younger sister Farah uh, and this woman was a noble um, of some noble birth she was in all the inner circles very popular very beautiful named Samira who started a romance with him and through this romance uh, he began to fall, fall mildly in love with a woman who was clearly using him uh, for one reason or another he did not know which uh, and on the night that he proposed uh, he walked in on her cheating on him mm. and in his despair ended up wandering through the uh, more abandoned wild portions of the fire plane mm -hmm. until he found a man who promised to make everything in his life better so long as he joined forces with him. That man ended up being the demon lord Grozit, who formed a wonderful uh, binding contract with my idiot boy, who then began to preach uh, the gospel of Grozit uh, against his warrior priest Father Melek mm -hmm. and his god Kasith. It re led a revolution in the midst of um, the fire plane to which um, his father 
kicked him out, and he then had to travel to the material plane to further uh, Grazit's gospel uh, elsewhere. And that's where the campaign's over. That's where you jumped in on the campaign. Yes, sir. Um, and that's what you gave me. You gave me lots of, like, and I mean lots of details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do appreciate you keeping that uh, brief. Uh, as much as I love reading your novels, that would take the entire episode <laughs> if we just wanted to delve into that. There was a lot. Okay, I'm um, sorry. You had a, but uh, you had a few sisters, actually. I did. Um, there was uh, Aaliyah, I believe. Aaliyah was uh, oldest, my oldest, oldest sister. Oldest sister. Farah was the younger sister. Yes, and I had one other older sister named Jyoti. Right, uh, who I keep forgetting about because I um, again I run this I run the same campaign and right. a lot of the influences from your backstory have showed up in the campaign for other people. Right, and I always get a lot of Farah and I always get um, Aliyah's in there for the same way she was for you guys. Okay, great, and I always forget about Jyoti. Yeah, it's a shame because she had a, a big bearing in yours, but she was also yes. like daddy's girl with Melek. Absolutely, which is why she doesn't show up as much uh, because. Melek isn't exactly the guy that you hang out with. Yeah, well, if you are also friends with Ignis, you're probably not friends with Jyoti, so true, it kind of makes true. sense for as far as, like, I love everyone, so <laughs> you also might be using everyone, but you don't really know, but she's very nice regardless. So. <laughs> um, but so th- this is... Making a sad backstory is easy. It's easy right. to write a backstory that's sad. It's easy to say something like, oh, well, this happened and it was bad. The reason I like this story so much is because it gave so much material to work with. Dungeons and Dragons is unique in that you can do anything you want, and the quest in the fire plane that you guys had to go there to open a magical gate or whatever, right, became entirely about your family. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, really did. It was literally so when they when they got I don't want to say too much about this because I do have listeners who are not here yet. They already yeah. know so much. <laughs> Surprise! Um, but suffice to say, this this whole like political intrigue, this whole cult of Grazit that Ignis started. Uh, so when you got there, you were surprised to find that it had actually taken over. Yep. Uh, which was never anything you'd intended. And the girl who broke your heart, uh, Samira, was sitting on the throne in the city of Brass. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> the Samira was the big guy of the whole thing. I mean, not meaning like, oh, like, she's just a Ganassi. How bad could she be? But she also had magical items. Not the point. The point is she was the big bad. And there was a lot of emotional challenge that came with that along with just... I always think if there's important like emotional or like character tie-in stuff it makes every fight more interesting absolutely because especially at higher levels fighting can be the longest most boring part of D&D so if the fights have any sort of bearing like to the characters rather than just we need to kill another dragon it actually makes things more fun and more interesting right absolutely yeah, so uh, again, I want to refrain from saying too much about Ignis. I think we've already talked a lot about him as is. Absolutely. Um, so guess what? Any listeners who meet him in the future, don't metagame. <laughs> Please be good to my boy. He just needs a hug <laughs> and probably a girlfriend. Uh, which you did eventually find in our campaign, which I'm not going to discuss. <laughs> um, we could discuss. I guess that's not really a... That's not a spoiler, is it? Uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to think. Like most, Honestly, most campaigns don't even aren't even this tight with that character. Right. Um, but they're characters that people would all meet very early on, which is, um, yeah, let's talk about this. This is fun. Sure. Because um, this is another thing to discuss, which is romance in games versus romance in real life, because Absolutely. there's a complete disconnect, especially in this case. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, Jake, you and I are two straight men. Is that correct? Uh, yes, okay. you are correct. <laughs> um, so, uh, obviously, we have no romantic attachment, but I was nope. I play all the NPCs, and uh, <laughs> that's how that goes down. So this is um, Alice. Yes, sir. Uh, Alice is a friendly young woman who you met uh, in an escort quest and found out she was involved in, like, some time travel stuff. You right. had to, like, uh, rescue her father from another plane of existence. Right. 
but then you had some other fallings out where she got herself in a lot of trouble and got actually like abused and yes. went through some some of her own dark stuff. And Ignis uh, was always kind of the flirt. Uh, yeah. He had a high charisma score and low die rolls, and it was perfect. (laughs) Well, because the intention was to make him, like, the world's worst flirt, and then all of the rolls actually helped with that. I was like, this is great. um, But over time, and with some going from a, a, like, flirty line to actually being genuine and, like, building a relationship, um, uh, a relationship was formed, which I didn't actually expect to happen, because it's not really Alice's cup of tea. She's not a very social person. Right. Um, but it, it kind of happened over time. It happened very naturally, and it felt, it was really cool. It was a cool element to have as part of the game. Yeah, it was nice to have, I think Ignis needed something to temper him, because Alice was such the opposite of what he would have been interested. Obviously, Samira was this very dignified, graceful manipulative but in a charming sense mm-hmm. of a woman whereas Alice is like this cute hardworking, doesn't really know what she wants from her life quite yet yeah. um uh, young woman who is very much the opposite of what Ignis wanted so have it helped seen, him sorry have you seen All Shook Up I don't think so it's a, I literally just saw this which is what I'm talking about but it's it's a retelling of uh the Twelfth Night uh, oh okay. set to Elvis music um oh, and there's okay. and the, the two like main love interest girls in it are like one of them who's like the main character we're supposed to be rooting for is like a grease monkey like she <laughs> works on motorcycles and she's a tomboy and she was the one who went up dressing as a guy uh, and then Makes one sense. of them is like cultured and likes Shakespeare and all this kind of stuff and it's like that to me is exactly oh, what that kind of dichotomy was where 1, Ignis had to learn that this the second type was not right for him and it's oh right. wait I didn't pay much attention to this the first time but yes. yeah. it went from being something that he was like just doing because of his own internal brokenness just flirting with every girl that he saw into being like I think there's actually something that she like she and I would actually work well together like this is a something that would be complimentary instead of just like oh, you're filling, like, the void in me or something right. like that. Like, it's actually something that's healthy and uh, building and not just uh, based on physical attraction at the mm-hmm. utmost. Because while she's cute and adorable, it wasn't Ignis's initial reaction either. Right. So it helped to develop him over time. It helped to develop her over time. Yeah. So that's, I think, a sign of a really healthy relationship. And I think the the last key thing that happened, like, before she went leaving, but she traveled with the party for a while. Uh, she got some levels in Cleric. Yeah. But the last key thing that happened before she left the party was when she got powerful enough to bring her mother back from the dead. Yep. And Ignis helped do that, and they kind of discussed the moral, ethical ramifications of bringing back someone from the dead who just, like, died of, like, she was sick. Yeah. You know? It wasn't, it wasn't old age. It wasn't, like, adventure. She just got sick and died. So that, that was... It led to a lot of really cool in-game moments, and also Absolutely. a lot of really cool, like, late-night role-playing sessions where yeah. we just, like... Uh, all right, and Jake and I are going to Skype for an hour and a half. <laughs> to, to, it was like, oh, let's, we have a quick scene to do. It'll take five minutes. It never, never took five minutes. It was always like two hours. We're like, well, that was supposed to be 15 minutes. <laughs> well, it was fun anyway. It didn't even matter. Uh, we just like telling stories too much. And yeah. speaking of telling stories, let's talk about Joel. Oh, Joel. So we can boy. spoil everything about this because it's not a campaign everyone anyone else will ever do. Because right. even if they play this system and this world, it can't be this campaign. No. Because the campaign is written entirely around the characters, which is something I want to use this episode to encourage every Dungeon Master to do. I don't care what system you're playing. I don't care uh, what you have planned. I you got to try it at least once because you're going to find it so much fun. Build a story 100% based on the characters. Get Make your players, make their characters first and build the story off of them entirely. Yep. It's going to blow your mind how much fun you all have. Uh, so let, first off, setting. 
This is no longer D&D, taking a slight deviation. In fact, it's not even a D20 system. So nope. I'm sorry, Natural 19, but it's going to be Natural 6 now. Uh, because <laughs> this is a D6 system, one of the Power by the Apocalypse systems called Monster of the Week. Yeah. Uh, Monster of the Week is based off of the TV show genre of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, and Scooby Supernatural. Oh. <laughs> Scooby-Doo, even yeah. to a lesser extent, where it is every week is meant to be a new adventure. They have to solve a mystery, they fight a monster, and move on to the next thing. It's yeah. meant to be a very short form uh, even the campaigns are meant to be fairly short form, uh, as evidenced by the fact that ours took four or five months compared to the two plus years of D&D runs. To be fair, like we do with all of our role plays, uh, we meant to only do this for a short period of time and then we're like, let's just make it a whole campaign again, didn't we? Yeah. So... Uh, I just kind of wanted to try it because I was listening to, uh, The Adventure Zone and they switched over That's to right. it and I loved it there and sure enough, I loved it in, in real life too. That's right. So the setting is, uh, modern day. Setting is modern day and I decided to set it in a modern day, no monsters, no magic, like everyone who existed was just a person. Or if they, sorry, not no magic, but very low magical setting. Yeah. Where if there was any magic, it was like, it's not like, ooh, I'm going to open a spell book and study. It's like, I can do weird things with light. And like, yeah, right. Uh, so in that setting, tell me about Joel. Joel knows uh, a lot less about himself than he would like to. He believes that he was uh, orphaned, that his parents were once in an organization known as The Path, uh, which was a pseudo-religious philosophical organization that wanted to better the world, to purify it. Mm -hmm. And uh, his parents were once part of the path and then rebelled against it. And in the process, uh, he was left in the care of one of the leaders of the path named Marabella. Joel became a devout follower of the path throughout his teenage years until uh, his teacher, Teacher Daniel, uh, decided that he had he was known as something called The Chosen One, which is a playbook in Monster of the Week. Mm -hmm. Um, and we tie that into the narrative by saying that there was one person meant to purify the world of whatever the path dignified as impure, yep. which was a serious the topic of debate, and that Joel would be the one to do that. Uh, Joel soon discovered that he did have a talent and a knack for magic, uh, which he could activate through these rune stones, mm -hmm. uh, which the path started having him gather. Uh, throughout this time, his best friend Lucas was beginning to rebel against the path just as Joel's parents had and realizing that there was maybe more going on behind the scenes than he had uh, planned on doing so. One night, when Joel and Lucas were just spending time together, uh, Lucas realized that this could go no longer go on without him saying something. He confronted Joel about all that he'd discovered about the path, all of the spying and all the things that he had gone into, and Joel completely refused to believe him. Lucas decided that he was going to try one last-ditch effort by confessing his feelings for Joel, and then Joel, not knowing what to do, went to his adoptive mother, Marabella. She said she would handle it, and by the next day, Lucas was gone, and Joel was left as the chosen one without anywhere else to turn but the path. Right. And you knew, in creating this character, it was your desire to basically... Because we, we, we wanted to uh, divert the trope of the chosen. Yes, absolutely. Because there's, there's usually two ways that goes. There's... The, the chosen, like, I don't want my destiny. Ugh. No, I don't want to. And then eventually coming into it. Uh, and then there is the, like, um, I'm the pure hearted one and I'm going to save us all. Like yes. That, like and then else. they have to find their flaws as they go. Yeah. No. So we explicitly wanted the chosen, whether or not you were destined to save the world, you wanted to embrace that, but you're working for the wrong side. Absolutely. You knew as a player the corruption of the path from the beginning. Yes. Which meant I could play with that a lot too. Absolutely. Pretty much. 
half or more of the NPCs in the game were, if not created by the players, directly related to the players. Yep. Um, Lucas became a huge player. And what made... Absolutely. Uh, Lucas became a player. Marabella was a huge part in it. Yep. Um, even your mother, who wound up coming back. Yes. Uh, uh, we found out that you didn't have a father, which brought some other weird religious tie-ins into it. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, and, and that's just you, because all the characters had this kind of tie-in. Uh, Jack, who is this, uh, the crooked playbook, or this criminal, uh, or ex-criminal. Um, it's, he was criminal still. Yeah. Kind of a smuggler. He had all these, his, like, crew, uh, and he got tied up and stuff because, uh, his past. Yes. Uh, certain things happened where, like, people from his past came in and needed favors from him. Right. That he owed them. Shikoba had all of the, the gods who is... and different divine beings that they were related with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Eva, who was like the regular person, her mother became a very key factor and her family had a lot of drama. Because a normal person, right. it was so cool seeing a normal person's family like in this crazy campaign where monsters wind up showing up and destroying everything through Eva's viewpoint was so neat because whereas you were the chosen one and Shikoba was an angel and Jack right. was like a criminal mastermind, Eva was just a person who got pulled into it. Yeah. And it was so cool. We had um, a perfect dynamic and blend of variety mm, in that group. It, was it worked so together so well. And every, I'm trying to think of like, with the exception of like the main antagonist, it was all tied in directly to you guys. And even, yeah. even the main antagonist, he was still tied in with the story. He just wasn't created by you guys. Right, absolutely. Um, his name was Evan, and he was a creepy son of a, uh, son of a bitch. Yeah, because the voice you did for him was <laughs> horrible. Oh, gosh, that was that was fun. Uh, well, now, see, we're doing an audio medium, so now I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Evan was sort of, sort of had this weird uh, canter to his voice. It was a bit Mandarin from Iron Man 3-ish. It's very like, um, so we are going to have to... Do something about that. Kind of, he would like put pauses in weird places. Yeah. Uh, he was talked low, and while he wasn't powerful per se, magic didn't work on him, and he was Wolverine level regenerative. Uh, to the right. point where he at one point jumped off a building, snapped his back, and realigned it. So finding a way to contain or beat him, and why all this was happening, was the big overarching mystery. Right. And this, the character and the the plot was all things I came up with based on everybody else's stories, and it was right so cool. It wound up being this whole thing about the four horsemen, yeah, uh, and trying to stop them from rising and literally bringing about the apocalypse, um, because they needed like a certain amount of fear to activate a portal. So they were trying to send all these monsters up to stir fear. So it became like this game of subterfuge of trying to take the monsters down without getting into the public eye, because if there was too much fear, then. The monsters would rise, and then there was the path to deal with because right. they were trying. What we, we found out that purification for them meant like eradication of anything that wasn't human because they knew about like otherworldly yep. beings, and like now we got to kill all of them. Yeah, well, it, it also tied into like there were elements of it was so cool because it it brought an element of stealth to the whole game because you mm -hmm. couldn't let things get out enough because then then the game was over, then the enemy has won. Even if you succeeded in defeating an enemy. It didn't matter because the whole world now knows, which was one of the coolest parts because I am not a person that enjoys stealth in video games. Mm -hmm. I am very much just like, let's just take a plan of attacking, like, go, go, go. And it was the first time where I was like, there was tension in every scene because you're like, are we going to, are we going to let this slip? Like, is somebody going to see this? Is somebody going to record this? Like, and there were times <laughs> where it right. went viral on the internet yes. and we had to figure out how do you stop this? And there was some brilliant plays about Amazing. that. Amazing. Uh, I cannot take credit for any of those plays. That, that was, was, that was Eva. Eva. Yeah. <laughs> that was Eva and Ethan. Eva and Ethan, yeah. 
So yeah, no, that it was a lot of fun though. And the reason the stealth works, I'm with you. I hate stealth in video games. So yeah. My least favorite thing, except the third least favorite thing, second least favorite thing being escort quests, Ugh. and first least favorite thing being follow quests. We have to like follow someone. It's sort of a mix of an escort and a stealth mission, really. Yeah, because they always walk at a different speed than you, and it drives you crazy every time, no matter how much they try and get to work. Mm-hmm. It does not. It was the worst part of Breath of the Wild. Ugh, um, amen. Anyway, um, but it worked. Because it meant something. Right. It wasn't just, you need to be sneaky because we wanted a stealth mission. It was, there were stakes to everything. Which is why I love that system so much in general. Is because always, every role has stakes. It's not like D&D where if you mess up a role, you do less damage one turn. Or you take more damage. No. Nope. If you mess up a role, you might end the world. And it's super yep. cool. Um, and trying to divert that, for my character specifically, if I use the, the luck point system, mm-hmm. would actually make things significantly worse the more that I tapped into it. Yes. Because it would start to bring about more and more pockets of the apocalypse into the living I world. Feel, I feel like we need to have an episode at some point where I bring you back on or someone from that crew back on and just talk about Monster of the Week and Absolutely. the cool applications that it has. Anyway, uh, long story short, write tragic backstories and uh, if, so if you're a player, write a tragic backstory. If you're a game master, build a story around the characters. It's so much more fun yes. that way and I recommend it highly. Okay. Let's play some D&D. You want to play some D&D? I sure do. <laughs> you gave me a look when I said that. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm getting into. It's no, kind of not. my thing. Right. So, where we left off, uh, Fizzle, in your adventures to uh, escape this weird laboratory-style place that you've been trapped in, you've been told you need to be purified of the virus, so you've headed down into the bowels of this uh, quarantine area and found a pit of slime. You crossed the pit of slime by distracting the slime monster that was inside and were followed out by a strange slime sphere, uh, which is now... Uh, persistently following you around. You were about to head through the next door. Um, it was a doorway, not necessarily a door, into okay. another kind of dark corridor. But your harmonica is glowing because you cast light on it. Uh, and that is where we left off. So uh, the floor is yours, Fizzle. All right. So I'm going to hold my harmonica out like a little dagger in front of me <laughs> to ward off against anything that is coming against me. I'm going to scoop up my little my little goop ball friend. Okay. He's gonna... a little cold to the touch, but otherwise not unpleasant. It's fine. I'm clammy too. It's a... uh, so <laughs> I'm just going to sidle against the wall as uh, nervously as possible and like still holding kind of the harmonica out. Just kind of press against the wall and so we can feel maybe like a shift in it if there's ever... Um, like, obviously, like, it feels like there's a door here or an opening or something like okay. that along the wall. Uh, so make a stealth check. Go ahead and roll that d20. Let's see what you got. Uh, right. You're a plus, I, th- I always, yeah, you have good decks. So you have plus three on this. Plus three, you got it. Oh, good, a five. So that's a five. <laughs> um, so, which stands to reason considering you're shaking and holding a glowing harmonica. <laughs> right. Um, so you, um, you sidle, uh, in through the next door and into this kind of narrow corridor. It's about, yep. this one's smaller than the other ones have been. It's about five feet wide and about ten feet tall. Uh, and there's no light save with the harmonica that you have. Um, scooting forward, you feel there is another door kind of, okay. um... It's sort of like the one you were stuck in. There's like two doors across from each other, actually. Okay. Uh, and you see them and feel them. Uh, they look like yours. They have handles on them. You don't know if they're locked or not. Okay. But there's, other than that, the path just continues forward into the darkness. Okay. Were there any, like, was there like a keypad or like a keyhole or anything on uh, there, Like, what kept me there was inside? A, there was a keyhole. Okay, um, keyhole. But you melted through it with your fire breath. Yeah. Which and there are keyholes on these as well. Okay, keyholes on these. And I don't have anything that I could, like, pick them with, do I? Uh, no, and you've already tried using her, your harmonica to magic locks open and it didn't work. I thought you meant to pick the locks. I no. was like, how in the world? No. no you, you tried to magic locks open, and unfortunately, it's not a spell you're in possession of. Got it. Um, he's just going to, like, set up to the door and just whispering, sorry, I'll come back for you. And just keep going just down the corridor. He's going to leave these people behind because he doesn't know if anything is in there or if anything would try and eat him or his little Orby friend. <laughs> okay. So um, you you kind of keep sidling and you go and you hear from the door, 
I'm sorry. Who are you? <laughs> um, oh, God. Oh, that's probably really bad. <laughs> He's just going to put um, Orby down. In fr- I don't know what to call his name. The little His name is Orby now. Or- no, that's horrible. <laughs> like, oh, uh, no. The little, my little gooby friend down in front of the thing. I'm going to put him down and just be like, just sign up and be like, um, I'm your conscience. Make a deception. Yeah, and probably running away after you, you that. You are proficient in in uh, that, so you're going to have a plus six on that. Oh, goody. Wow, a That's 25. A 25. <laughs> Jiminy Crickets outside your freaking door. You hear... Uh, I've been in here too long. Okay, Conscience. What is what is it you are here to advise me on? Oh, God. Um, Do you really think it's right, everything that you're doing here? Uh, being locked in a place with no communication with the outside world? No, didn't really think that was right. I was kind of looking for a way out. But you're not doing anything to get out. You're just sitting there. <sighs> well, I've tried to pick the lock, but my tools were taken away. Oh. And then and he goes, well, in that case, and then just like picks up little Orby and just goes, dinner, little guy, and starts trying to... Uh, Orby hops onto the handle and kind of takes a second to figure out what exactly you mean, but sure enough does start to eat through the handle and the door cracks open ever so slightly and from inside there's a nudge. Uh, Inside there is a slender kind of short uh, half-elf woman Hmm. uh, wearing the same kind of tattered rags you were when you were kept here. And she just kind of looks out and then looks down <laughs> and finds you. My conscience, she says. So, I'm not crazy. Eh, well, that's still up for debate, but we can figure that out along the way. Come on, let's go. I'm sorry, who are you actually, then? Oh, uh, well, this little guy doesn't have a name, but I'm Fizzle. And he holds out his, arm, like, his harmonica and then realizes it's the wrong hand and then gives her the other hand. She kind of crouches down a little bit and shakes her hand. Fizzle, do you have any idea why we were locked in here, Fizzle? Uh, well, I think we might be sick with something, or maybe they think we're sick with something. I don't know, I'm not sick to anything, but they think I am, so I'm gonna go take a shower and then show them I'm not sick, so... Are you sick? You don't look sick. Don't feel sick, she says. You're taking a shower? Yeah, that's what they told me to do to get out of here, so figured I'd listen. Hmm. Sure, I can go for a shower then. I could use to stretch my legs at least. <sighs> she pushes the door the rest of the way open. Uh, she does look a bit... You realize, like, Slender's one thing, but she's also a bit, like, emaciated. She's, okay. She seems to be malnourished, at the very gotcha. least. Uh, clearly, she's been here longer than you have. Oh. Um, she kind of... I don't suppose you have any food on you, do you? Uh. And he looks down at Orby. He, or, I don't want to call this thing Orby, the little goop, goopy friend. And he goes, I got this thing. The thing that burned through my handle? Yeah, I don't know if he's, like, really that nutritious, but he's here. The goop thing kind of goes a bit straighter. It's kind of like the equivalent of perking its head up. <laughs> That's fine. I'll wait. Okay, next question. I don't suppose you have anything I could use to defend myself. Well, you could try this. And he just gives it, like, he's like, I got a dagger or a harmonica. Take your pick. She reaches for the dagger. Oh, really? That one? She right. twirls the dagger around impressively in her fingers and pops it up into the air and balances, like, the point on her finger. It'll do. All right, showers. And she kind of tucks it into, tie, and ties a makeshift sheath in her shirt. All right, no need to show off. You wouldn't happen to know where they are, do you? I'm just kind of... Wandering? Nope. Not a clue. Well, well, it's probably too much to hope for. She walks over to the door across and kind of bangs on it with the pommel of the dagger. 
Hey, still in there? Ah, he's dead. Oh. Someone I've been talking to. You think he has anything? Any food? Uh, if he would, he would have eaten, eaten it instead of starving to death. Yeah. But he might have something. Is Go he ahead. food? Hmm? Is he food? See, it's funny. When you showed up to my conscience, I thought you were here to advise me against eating my own hand. <laughs> and now here we are talking about eating someone else. Go ahead. Make Gooby do what Gooby do. <laughs> so he does, he does the same thing. Gooby uh, kind of go, leans up to the handle and pulls back into your hand. He does not seem interested. Oh, I think he's full. Convenient, she says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't really want to smell a dead person anyway. We're supposed to be getting clean, not gross. Yeah, let's go then. Right? I'm uh, Nivia, by the way. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, you, The two of you keep walking, and you find another set of stairs leading even deeper into this facility. Oh, well, ladies first? I was just going to say that. <laughs> she takes a few steps down. She kind of wobbles as she does. She's clearly very weak. I'll stay behind her close enough that she can, like, see her okay. step then with the harmonica. Yeah, both of you kind of creep down. Um, your stealth going about as well as it was the first time. Um, she just, do you mind walking softer? What? What? I can't help. I have claws. <sighs> she never understood this. I don't understand your dainty little feet either, but we are all stuck in our own positions. Reaching the bottom of the staircase, you find yourself uh, in front of another door, and it says showers. Oh. I was trying to think of a fancy word for it. <laughs> no. It just, says, it just says showers. Well, that's convenient. Is it locked? She checks. Nope. We're good. Oh, good. Well. You push the door open. Uh, inside, there is a kind of large, like, square room. It's about 15 feet in all directions. Okay. Uh, and there's little, like, dotted holes in the ceiling uh, and little levers on the walls next to those, which look like they would make things come out of said dotted holes. Huh. You think there's different types of showers, or should we just kind of wing it? Uh, she kind of looks around. I don't see them labeled, so hopefully, hopefully we're clear. Well, hot or cold, here we go. And just jumps on it and, like, yanks it right <laughs> down. You... Pull pull the thing down and the lever creaks into a down position and nothing happens. Oh, don't tell me this thing's busted. I don't know how to work these. I'll try the other one. Sure. You go, uh, she goes and pulls one. This, uh, this one seems to work. And from the ceiling, she kind of flinches as this um, kind of greenish liquid comes spraying from the mm-hmm. ceiling. Ah. Oh, that's, that's something. Does it burn? No, but it smells terrible, and sure enough, it, it does. It's Again, it's sort of like the sour smell when you're passing through okay. your little uh, slime pit, and you're kind of looking up at yours, which is beginning, you see a drip forming, but it is not a green drip. It is a kind of blackish substance. Oh, no. Uh, which kind of starts coming out in thick globs, almost dripping down onto you. I'm assuming you... Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm bolting out of there, like, screaming and running. Uh, so Fizzle runs and screams as this thing drops to the ground in a heap. This is kind of black pile of sludge. Uh, and she kind of looks over. Uh, Nivea is sort of in the middle of like kind of just rinsing her hair off of this stuff and looks over uh, and sees this as it begins to grow taller and taller and taller. And she kind of takes a step back out of her shower thing uh, and says, Fizzle, <laughs> have you seen one of these before? Uh, no, and I really don't want to see it now. Okay. Uh, and at this point, it is going to... It kind of starts to grow a bit more. It kind of 
arms in each direction or arm-shaped oh, yeah. blob things in each direction. Okay. And the bottom splits, and it's almost this kind of humanoid shape of black goop monster thing. Uh, and in the, in the goop kind of forms and starts changing in color and solidifying. It seems like it is taking on an actual humanoid shape. Uh, and it's this weirdly, like, androgynous creature. It's trying, almost like it's trying to mimic what a humanoid should look like uh. without being entirely successful. Uh, its mouth is sort of, like, hanging awkwardly open, and its eyes are sort of crooked. Uh, and it just kind of... And it's going to charge at Nivea. Ah! Um, oh, I don't have a weapon. You Crap. have a harmonica. Roll for initiative. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, here we go. What's my... Oh, God. Things are going very well. <laughs> 19 or 2. I mean, to be fair. Well... Wow. Uh, Nivea is going first, which is perfect because she is going to run to the other end of the room and put herself in a corner, hold her dagger out defensively, uh, and then this thing is going to charge after her. It doesn't quite reach her. It's pretty slow moving, but it's getting close to her when your turn rolls around. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and like taunt it i guess is the right word to like get her get it away from her um i'm just gonna like literally blast on my harmonica as loud as proud as as i can excellent just trying to get attention yeah okay make a just go ahead and roll these 20 okay (laughs) performance yeah perfect plus six 16. 16 this thing's getting close to her and it hears this very loud sound and it turns and kind of with this weird dead eye thing starts moving its way towards you instead, lurching in your direction. Uh, Nivea takes advantage of this, and as it runs away, she's going to swing her dagger at it, which misses. God dang it. (laughs) He's Uh, not even facing you! uh, You can see as she swings out, it kind of looks like, again, she probably is better than this, but she slips and sort of catches herself. She hasn't eaten in a long time. Right. Uh, So she's having a hard time staying up. As this thing approaches you, though, uh, it kind of stops for a second as its foot hits kind of a puddle of this green stuff, and you hear a tss, and it backs up from it and then it goes goes moves to go around this puddle that has formed of this uh green liquid on the ground all right i'm gonna notice that and it says you said the same stuff as my little goopy friend right uh similar yes all right i'm gonna see that and be like all right this is your moment sir goops a lot go 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 (laughs) and just like kind of like trying like like a dog like go fetch like (laughs) okay uh the goop is uh a little bit sprightly surprisingly which you learned when he first followed you uh so he starts to roll his way towards this thing and Climbs up onto its foot, and it does start to sizzle. Um, and at this point, this thing becomes distracted and starts to uh, kind of, like, try and pull the goop off. But whatever he does, it's now, like, it's in his hand, and it's sort of sticking, and he's trying to throw it, and it's not working. Uh, and I think Nivea's kind of, her eyes are darting around and going, this is the virus, this is the sickness thing. I think so. So we can purify it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she starts frantically pulling all the shower levers to turn all of them on. Okay, yeah, I'm going to probably do that on my side. Which did I'm going to go find another one to try and pull it Yeah, there's, there's like nine of them in total. Oh, okay. There's plenty. Cool. Um, so you you two both go around the room and start doing this, but uh, as it, that happens, it manages to fling Goopy off and against the wall, and Goopy kind of splats and rolls to the ground and starts making his way back to you. Okay, good. Uh, no, he's not dead. Oh, okay, I was going to be <laughs> very heartbroken. Goopy, Goopy's a fan favorite. I was going to say, um, I was like, if I'm the one that <laughs> killed him. Um, but at this point, he is going to charge at you and he's going to make a slamming attack. That's a natural one. Woo! So uh, as he slams against you, I'm going to say with a natural one, you duck out of the way and he stumbles directly into the line of this shower that you just turned on. Perfect. And starts to... As this liquid starts to eat through him, dealing 
four points of damage uh, to this creature, which is now looking pretty bad off. Uh, and that brings it back to your turn. All Your Nivea have finished turning on all the showers at this point. The center of the room is the only safe place, and he's sort of okay. backing up to there, surrounded now by this purifying liquid. Okay. Oh, I'm going to turn to Nivea and go, this is your moment. Redeem yourself. And then I'm going to play her like a little tune to inspire her. Uh, okay, yeah, so she, you give her a point of bardic inspiration, uh, and she kind of rolls her eyes, uh, and... I just, like, stop and go, like, it's in, like, all the stories, and just keep she, going. She's going to quickly soak herself in this liquid and just charge tackle this thing. Smart. Um, with a die of bardic inspiration, that attack roll goes from an 11 to a 17. Woo! All right. Okay, that was a good combo. Some. And she slams into this thing, which, uh, reels back from her, uh, in disgust as she hits it, uh, and directly into another one of the showers... Taking this time 13 oh, wow. acid damage <laughs> okay. as it, this thing just melts away back into its black goop and then the goop dissolves into nothingness on the ground. And Nivea's sort of like breathing heavily and clutching her shoulder where she shoulder checked this thing and looks back at you and just goes, Alright, you've got something. Like, it's a compliment, never mind. I'm very hungry, she says. Oh, Jake didn't understand, sorry. It's fine, I'm fine with fizzle, I'm not understanding. <laughs> and then she's just going to kind of uh, slump against the wall and just kind of rest for a moment. And uh, I think that's what we're going to call it. Yeah. Uh, and for our next player, we're going to go ahead and level Fizzle up because Ooh. Fizzle's been through some stuff now. Yeah, you're welcome, next player. <laughs> Did all the dirty work uh, for actually, you. Actually, there, there is one more thing I want to do. Oh. Um, as this thing is dissolving, I think Goopy rolls over to it Okay. Uh, and kind of dissolves the rest and as he does Goopy actually grows a little bit oh uh, it looks like a Goopy himself has also leveled up uh, Aww, Goopy gets stronger uh, he, he's got sort of a Mega Man thing going on right? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um, so a section of this podcast we, we don't uh, we've only gotten to do once and I don't get to do this time uh, is D&D advice. So yet again, for what few listeners I have, I will repeat. Uh, if you are a DM with a difficult player or a player in a difficult situation, uh, go ahead and throw us an email at natural19podcast at gmail.com. That is natural19podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the digits, not the words. Uh, and we'll be happy to address all your issues right here in this podcast with people who are clearly professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I think that's going to do it for us today. Jake, thank you so much for being on this uh, episode with me. It's been a Delight having you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Fun. I'm sure I'll have you back on again sometime when I start cycling through co-hosts again. I'd love to. However, before we sign off, there's always one thing I do, which is I would like to ask you uh, a D&D themed question about your real life. This sure. Is kind of done. Uh, as a warlock player, you've become accustomed to having very few spell slots. So I would like to ask <laughs> you if there was one spell in the D&D world that you could cast in real life, but only three times oh. in your whole life, what spell would you pick? Oh my gosh. Wish, you can't choose wish. That's cheating. Okay, well, that was first record of mine, but I also never had that spell, so. Three wishes. This is not a three wishes scenario. Oh my gosh. So after much deliberation. <laughs> yes, we, I, just cut up, I just cut up roughly 75 minutes of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So it's not on the Warlock spell list, but I would likely choose the ninth level uh, cleric spell, mm -hmm. uh, True Resurrection, <sighs> uh, because your boy is very protective of people and. If I felt like I had let someone down and let them uh, let them down to the point of them dying, uh, I would absolutely want to bring them back. A be like, sorry, that's not gonna happen again. <laughs> you only got two more shots. So don't do that again. Um, but also, I mean, like I have not personally experienced anyone super close to me in a situation where they have passed on. But I would imagine that if it was someone close to me, I'm like, well. Nothing like that. And just bring them back. Especially because True Resurrection it doesn't like 
if someone dies of old age, it doesn't work. Right. And if they don't want to come back, it doesn't work. Absolutely. So that would definitely, like... It, it's like if someone got into, like, a car accident. Like, yeah, whew, that's that would feel nice. Yes. Just, you know, it would just make me feel better. Like, there's a lot of times in life where you are uncertain about if somebody's going to be okay. And I'm like, well, as long as I... It's because you just have to know their name or something, right? It's like, you don't even have to be there. Yeah, as long as you know their name. Yeah. You, you can do it, yeah. I'm like, literally like, okay, well, that's... A, like, if I had a child one day and I'm like, oh, this is probably not the best scenario for them to be in right now. I'm like, it's okay, sweetie, you'll be fine. And then I can just bring them back. Thank you so much for coming, Jake. And listeners, I will catch you next time. Bye. Adios. Adios.